But he's not, as we look at Hebrews 12 last week, we talked about discipline and in the word in the, in the scriptures, discipline, everybody associates that with negative consequence for negative behavior because that's how parents use it, right? But really what it is, is God is putting you on display. This is, what, this is training from God. He puts you on display before unbelief. And whatever form unbelief manifests in front of you, you're on display as evidence of his power in a human being who should crumble in the face of unbelief. So that's a trial. That's a suffering. You're, you're feeling like the pressure of staying faithful to believing when unbelief is all that you see around you. Right? God's so confident in himself that he places you in those positions to be a witness of him. And you know what he said? You couldn't be his witness unless you were full of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says this. He says, guys, stay in Jerusalem, right? Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 1. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and then you'll be my witness. See, unless we have power from on high, we remain the centerpiece. Even Christians remain the centerpiece of their lives. Because the power from on high is not transforming their life. And so grace is the ability to walk into a position and say, now that the power has come from on high, he begins to reveal these things inside of us that war against faith. Right? So if Justin is the centerpiece of his life, God is going to be faithful to reveal that fact to me. So that, not that I would be punished, like God's going to have a negative consequence because Justin's not living it outright, Because every bit of punishment was laid on Jesus Christ at the cross. Like you should every day wake up and say, I am unpunishable. Because of the blood and the body of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Every sin was paid for. Everything that anybody is ever going to do that is wrong and against God has been beat out of the body of Jesus in physical sense. And he was killed and crucified so that we never, ever have to be in punishment. And 1 Thessalonians says it. It says that we're never going to be under the wrath of God. The wrath of God is punishment. We don't get that. And the ultimate form of wrath is separation from God. That's the ultimate form. If God is completely wrathful towards something, he shuts that thing off from himself because he's the source of life joy, happiness, and everything that we we would ever want. So Jesus suffered the full wrath of God because he separated himself from Jesus Christ so that he will never leave you or forsake you ever, ever, ever. He'll never leave us. He will never forsake us. Be as rotten as you want to be on any day of the given week. If you're in Christ, he's not leaving. And he's no further away from you. In fact, grace is pouring out more because it's super abounding where your sin is abounding. It's crazy. It's, it's an audacious thing. But the training of God or the discipline of God is to continue to do that in your life to bring you to a position where He is putting you in circumstances that will strengthen your faith because everything inside of that circumstance is telling you not to believe. You see, Tracy, when you went to California and you were there before unbelief and you continued... You were doing exactly what God wanted you to do. You didn't even have to say anything. You had to be there and keep believing. 
Because the work of God is this, believe in the one that he sent. So you standing in the face of all that unbelief, that feels like suffering. It feels miserable. It feels like war. It feels like many, many things. But in reality, it's Jesus positioning you for all that unbelief to keep looking and saying, why isn't Tracy bending right now? Why isn't Tracy giving up this thing? Because we don't want to hear about Jesus and Jesus and loving Jesus and all this stuff. So Tracy, why do you keep doing that? And you keep doing it because you believe. Regardless of how you feel inside. You see what I'm saying? That's the discipline or training of God. So what happens in that circumstance is you come back and you'll have a rest from that period of time. But it's to strengthen our faith so the next time we face unbelief with an increasing measure, we can be stronger in faith. And what's happening as he reveals our weaknesses is the training of God is to not reveal weaknesses, but to reveal our strength that overcomes the weakness. So God is not a God who says, Dana, you're messed up. Here's all the places you're messed up. Get right. Come back and see me. God says, you're not messed up. You're righteous before me. My blood covers you. You are a great mom. You are a great wife. You have every ability to complete the assignments that I have for you. And I've given these things to you. And all that stuff that's trying to tell you you're not is a lie. So come with me. We're going to go towards your strength. All you have to say is, yes, God, my self-centeredness is not in keeping with your kingdom. Therefore, I'm done with it. And he's like, done. Boom. Healed. Thanks for agreeing with me. Let's go. And it, not thanks for agreeing with me. God doesn't thank us. We just agree with Him. And He's like, you agree with me? Let's go. Correct my, theo- my own theology. But you see what I'm saying? God's, God's training is never to point us out into weakness so that we feel the fracture and we feel the brokenness of relationship with God. And I don't know how I'm going to get back to you, God. And none of that. That's the enemy's lies and his tactics to make you feel separated from the one who loves you and cares about you. So in the training, in the, in the, in the relationship, 1 John 4.18, it says... Perfect love casts out fear. Okay? So, fear can be cast out. Why? We just we mentioned this earlier. It's a spirit. That's why it can be cast out. So, if you are born again, your spirit has been made one with the Father. You've been made perfect in the blood. You've been made righteous because of Jesus' sacrifice. So, if you're perfect in the blood and righteous in your spirit, then if fear comes on you, where is it coming from? Hell. Right? It's coming from hell. And why does it come from hell? Because you've agreed with it for most of your life. So actually, you've given legal access. You have given the code to your front door to fear the spirit of fear. And said, come in whenever you want to come in. And I'm going to agree with you when you come in. So here's what God says. Change the code on your front door. Recognize the enemy's trying to come in like a flood. Raise up a standard. Call on my name. Know that I'm the one who's not giving you a spirit of fear, but I'm perfectly loving you. So when you feel it, recognize he's afraid of what you're about to do. Now you're ready to go somewhere. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I just have to breathe a minute. I'm telling you, I was up in the upper part of this cabin this weekend, and man, I was reading a story about a guy. He's a pastor in in I can't even remember where. He walks in his church sanctuary, walks in his church sanctuary, and there's seven angels standing in the church sanctuary. Two of them are Gabriel and Michael. And he encounters these angels, there, and, and as he walks in, he just is like the fear of God, like he can't even think, right? And he's looking at Michael, and he says, 
He didn't know him. Gabriel walked up real quick and he's like, we're here and the Father has sent us because what you're doing in this community, the kingdom of darkness has sent in the king, as I sent in darkness and God has dispatched us. We're destroying the darkness. We're, we're right now, there's a battle raging over your community and so we're using your place as a center, as a hub of command. And he's just like, oh, okay. You know, like, and he said, he hasn't been introduced and he says, he, he shows them and there's these angels and what's happening is angels are coming and going and coming and going and these guys are calling, calling the plays, basically. And, and all of a sudden, he gets introduced to this angel who he said was giant, just, I mean, like, the fear of God. He said his eyes were pools of fire. Oh, and I saw, like, I was in my in the room in the spirit, I just saw what that would look like. And, I mean, the fear of God just rushed in in my life and I was like I'm just reading this thing I'm not even I'm not even in the room and I'm like oh god you know like I don't even know what's about to happen and he said Michael said the father allows this darkness to come and dispatches us to continue to scatter it until the time that is appointed for the darkness so that you can know that he is faithful over your community that's what Michael said the guy's like I've never seen an angel before and I walk into my church and they're like having a it's a war room it's really a war room that was going on and so as we think about this this kingdom that God has which is an unbelievably great kingdom right he says that when we are disciplined and we are trained with faith when we are trained by it see Michelle what you were sharing in the testimony of CVS is you are being trained by it You're not going in and doing something and walking away and being like, so glad that's over, I don't want to do that again. Right? Because what you're saying is, God, what I encountered and who you are and where we're going, I want to know your ways and I want you to be one with me. And you're being trained by it. Then there's a peaceful fruit of righteousness that pours in. That's what Hebrews 12 is talking about. And he says, it's to those that have been trained by it. So what you never want, you never want as a Christian, a mistrial. Meaning, You don't want to miss the purpose of why you're in a trial. You want to know, you want the lesson to be complete. You want to go into it, through it, right in the middle of it and say, I'm not going to go around this fiery furnace, but when I go through this fiery furnace, Jesus, tell me and help me so that I come out the other side of this fiery furnace and whatever was necessary for my training and faith to increase, I want it on the other side. So then peaceful fruit of righteousness pours in. And so here's what he says, though, remember, how do you lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet? That's Hebrews 12, 12. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He's talking to people who are saying, he's saying to them, your faith is so critical that without it, you cannot please God. Your performance doesn't please God. Your faith, your faith having works behind it because it's a verb, not a noun, pleases God. Taking $10 a quarter into that place and walking out, that's faith that pleases God. Reward comes with that. You've got to believe that He rewards you. You've got to believe He rewards what you guys did. This weekend as you girls gathered together, that's an act of faith, trusting that the Father's going to come and do what He's supposed to do, and He rewards it. All the time, every time. That's why the enemy puts up the oppression, because he's like, he knows that God rewards. God is faithful. He knows that. He wants to convince everybody that he's a liar. He hopes that God one day will lie, because that's the only hope that Satan has to not be cast in the lake of fire for all of eternity. God has to be a liar if Satan's going to be getting, getting out of that deal. And that's what he's trying to do. So if he can kill Israel, then he can prove God's a liar, because God said Israel will never pass away. He put his whole reputation on one nation that's never, ever, ever, ever gone away. It's still here today. 
Every other nation and every other language and every other people group has ever been has been transformed and changed in some way, but not Israel. Right? That's why he wars against Israel. He just wants God to be a liar, and then he can go free, maybe. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so, here's what's happening. People's hands begin to droop, because in the face of unbelief, in many places and circumstances, that's why Scripture continuously says, renew your mind daily, be in the Word daily, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, go into the presence of Jesus, seek Him, continually seek Him. Why? Because He will be found. And all of this is about the Word of God being built up in our spirits, right? Because... In the face of unbelief, if you try to fight unbelief with your emotions and your psychology and your best efforts, you will succumb and you will become discouraged and you will begin to doubt. And when you begin to doubt, you don't just doubt yourself. What you're really doubting is the Father. And your hands drop because now you're not saying, pick me up, Daddy, because you don't believe Daddy's going to pick you up. So your hands come down and you feel all this weight and it's all because you have succumbed in the face of your own efforts. And all he said was, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Everything else gets added to you. So what he wants us to do is to do what what we were talking about, Johnny. He wants you to come alongside him, co-laboring, and then trust that he's got the lead. What a lot of us do is we come alongside, and then we try to take the lead and hope that Jesus is supporting us on the way. Dangerous place to be. If we think we're in the lead and Jesus is supposed to support us, then then we got the whole discipleship thing wrong because what we just did to Jesus was say, follow me. Ooh, no thank you. He said, follow me. I'm the good shepherd. And when I start to think that I got a plan and I got a purpose and I got a way to get something done and Jesus, you better bless it because I want to go this direction. No. So my focus just needs to be on him. And that's what Hebrews has been about. From the very beginning, he said, consider Jesus. Consider the author of your faith. Consider Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Have you guys been listening to Jesus? Are you faithful to build yourselves up in what Jesus said, which is this entire Bible? Because why? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word is the flesh of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. So many people then, they they throw the the author out, and they're like, well, I'm just going to go by this. And they don't even want the author to talk to them. They don't want the Spirit of God to be near them. They just want to say, I just have the Bible, and that's all I ever need. Now you've got a book without an author, without the presence, and that's not going to do you. you. We need the Spirit and the Word. Perfect unity. And we, don't ever, we never are going to be perfect on this side of glory, but we're going to keep on striving for it. We walk in the presence of Christ, and we walk in the Word of Christ, and that comes together, and our lives have fruit. It's peaceful fruit, according to Hebrews 12. So guess what? If you've got drooping hands, your knees are a little weak. Here's why our knees get weak. When our hands droop and we begin to doubt, we start to trust in our own ability to get where we need to go. When you begin to trust in your own ability to get where you need to go, you get ahead of God. You get in a position that you think He should follow you and bless the things you're doing. Your knees get weak because you're going up and down. Up and down. Emotional roller coaster. Up and down. And your knees are like, ah. This journey, which, and I preach this. I used to preach that the roller coaster was normal. And that's the weirdest thing in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus was never on a roller coaster. He just was Jesus. I mean, Jesus, the one when they were like, let's push him off the cliff. Everybody, push him off the cliff. And he was like, I think I'm going to go this way. And the people are like, ooh. You get him. I can't. You get him. I can't. I don't know what's going on right now. And he passes through the crowd that's trying to shove him off a cliff. No roller coaster. And I used to be like, I used to talk about the roller coaster. Like it was such a normal thing. Your knees get weak when you are under your own efforts trying to do what you need to do. You see what I'm saying? 
So when he says this, make straight paths for your feet. What's he telling us to do? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And here's the word. It says acknowledge him, right? But that's not like, hey, Jesus, nice, nice to meet you. Hi, Jesus, I'm glad you're here. Hey, Jesus, you're with me. That word in the Hebrew actually means intimacy intercourse. Know him in all his ways, in all your ways. So that's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is saying. He's saying know him intimately in everything you do. And what happens? He will make your paths straight. So how do you make straight paths for your weak knees? You go back to trusting in Him who's the one who's the author of all this stuff to begin with. So if you got weak knees and drooping hands, here's the God, what God is saying. Look at Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Work on the inner part of who you are in Jesus. Because if you're out here trying to get all this stuff taken care of, and oh, then you're like, oh, my arms and oh, my knees and... Christianity is so hard and it's such a lie. It's such a lie. Christianity is not hard. It's Jesus. It's being with the one we love. And he loves us. I mean, loves us. And I'm just barely getting a fraction. I'm starting to understand how much he loves me. Right? And so he's like, here's how you're going to make these paths straight for your feet. You're going to trust in me. Why? Because it's lame to have drooping hands and weak knees in the kingdom of God. It's lame. That's what the Bible says. It's lame for you to doubt in who Jesus is. It's lame for you to walk in your own path in your own way. And so don't keep doing it because what will happen is it will get put out of joint. You don't want it to be put out of joint. Because guess what? By the way, having weak arms and weak knees is a lot less painful than having something get put out of joint. Has anybody ever had anything put out of joint? I've had my shoulder put out of joint. Hip? Oh, that's, they say that's like the worst one. Good. So the pain level would just is going to increase unless we change this thing. And what is, how do we change it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on whose understanding? So when do you have to stop obeying that? <laughs> when can you write the book on having enough understanding and have everybody read it and now they can have understanding like you? Never. That is never. You, that, that is a, this is a command of the Lord that never goes away. So for me, I'm growing in revelation. I love it. Because today, I believe things that I would have called myself a heretic years ago. I would have. I'm just being honest. I'm a very religious person back then. Less, less now. I'm less religious now. Praise God. But honestly, like we're growing in revelation. I just recently heard that a great leader in the church, one of the men in the church that, that I would have poo-pooed and probably had some negative things and criticisms to say about him. And here he is toward the end of his life saying, you know, the more I studied the Bible and the more I read, the more I realized the stuff that I was preaching really wasn't the truth. And so now I'm going to go with what the Bible says. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that's humility. That's Jesus. He obviously is walking with the king because the king is showing him some things. You know what I mean? So our mercy needs to increase. And so he says this, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. Here's what we like to do. We don't like to tell each other that we're greater than one another. We like to point out each other's flaws and make ourselves feel greater than one another. And if we don't do it face to face, we like to do it in closed doors. Yeah, right? 
that's how that's how humanity works. We don't walk around going, "I'm awesome." I'm awesome. I'm, I want to be great. I want to be right-handed Jesus, left-handed Jesus, right? You know, what we do is, well, I wish my wife wouldn't think like that. Because I don't think like that. And if she was like me, everything would be great. What we're really saying is, I'm the great one. I have the way of doing it. And she doesn't. Therefore, if she comes up to where I'm at, then we're going to be good. Wrong. That is so wrong, right? So to how to have peace with somebody, the Bible says wisdom from above it's not about seeking self. Wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. So what does it do? It's willing to submit and say, you know what? I'm going to go with your way. It might be the wrong way. I'm okay. I'm going to go the wrong way. Because Jesus went the wrong way, and it resulted in our salvation. You see what I'm saying? Like, he's so big. You can go the wrong way with somebody, and he's still going to bless it. Because why? You're willing to submit. That's, that's cool. So striving for peace with everyone's not being passive, not being rolled over, hey, just drive over me, I'm a walking mat, doormat, just step on me. That's not what it is. Having peace with people, and Jesus said, I give you peace, not as the world gives you, I give you peace. Right? So having peace with people is being willing not to be given over to vain arguments. Not living in a, in a, in a mindset of judgment against other people. Peace doesn't mean like you have to have this, I love you, let's put our arms around each other. Peace means you're going to be the one on your side to live Jesus before that person, no matter what it takes. Right? And we got to have the Spirit of God in us to do that. If we don't have the Spirit of God to do that, then our humanity is going to get in the way and we're not going to have peace. Here's why you can have peace with people. It's because you have peace with God. So if, you, if you're struggling in a relationship that's in front of you, step back from that. And look to the relationship you have with the Father and realize how He has extended to you manifest grace and you just extend that grace to that person. See, we get caught in it so fast that sometimes we don't even realize that we can offer the grace to this, to this person because we're, we're just thinking, we gotta, we got to deal with this. Uh, deal with this thing right here, right now. Uh, what's wrong with you? And God says, step back, look at me. See how much grace I've poured out on you? Pour out that grace. You know, it's just a brief moment. All you got to do is step back. Wait a second. How much should I love this person in front of me? And so what will happen is for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So he's telling you to seek for holiness. See, I used to think in my mind that holiness was a result of my good behavior in God's ways. I think many people in the church would probably define it that way. Good behavior in God's ways means that I'm holy. Actually, that's self-righteousness. And so what many times in the church gets mistaken is, well, I'm holy, why? I only wear my hair in a bun. If you're a woman with a really deep voice, I only wear, I only wear my hair in a bun. And I, and I make sure my dress is this long. And, and I wear a suit and only a suit to church. And I make sure my hair is combed and my children sit in a row. And every one of them does exactly what I say. And so all this out, outward external stuff, right? And so when that becomes... The mindset, what you, draw, what you dropped into is the law. Now you're cursed because you're trying to live under performance, trying to say. And every time that happens, you will inevitably look around the room and see who doesn't measure up to the standard you've set for yourself. Now you're sinning against Matthew chapter 7, which says, judge not, lest ye be judged. James says, you're telling us about all these people, but you yourselves are doing the same things. So... Jesus doesn't have have to do with any of that stuff. So here's what holiness is. Holy is the word set apart. That's what it means. Set apart. So if you're an ambassador to 
for Christ, right? We've talked about that. Don just brought up Nikki Haley. She's an ambassador to the U- for the United States to, to the world, right? Her responsibility is to be American because she's an ambassador, right? Your responsibility is to be set apart. Remain kingdom regardless of what circumstance you're in. You're at work, be kingdom. You're at a restaurant, be kingdom. You're getting groceries, be kingdom. You see what I'm saying? That's what it means to seek the holiness because without that, you can't see God. So if you want to be a Christian in church and call that holy, but you want to have a super negative attitude the first time you go into any place because it's all about you and you go to a restaurant and they're not serving you on the right time in the right amount of ways, so you're going to be rude to that person because as you're rude to that person who you don't know their story, you don't know what they're going through, you're just mad because your burger's not cooked right and it didn't come fast enough and your lemonade's not been refilled and there's all these personal self-issues that are going on so you're casting that all on this person who you're supposed to love, you're not living set apart and how do you expect that you're going to see God? You won't because you're blinded by acting the way that you're acting. So if you don't seek set apartness in 100% of your life, then what ends up happening is you miss who God is. Now, if you go into the restaurant and, you wanna, and you're already walking in the mindset that, you know, I'm going to have peace no matter what happens. Now, you could have the worst experience, worst waitress, worst waiter, whatever. The circumstance could keep going negative, And what you're doing is being grace, grace. And the person's coming up being like, I'm so sorry I screwed up your meal. and No worries. Hey, we don't have nowhere to be. We're, we're good. I'm sorry I haven't refilled your drink in like 10 minutes. Hey, that's all right. You know, we're, we're good. And when you start extending that grace, what is this? What's happening? That person's seeing God and you're seeing God because you're actually acting the way that the Bible tells us we're supposed to act, which is to love people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So holiness is not your performance. However, it is connected to how you behave. Because if you're behaving like you are, if you're an American, you act like an American. If you're a kingdom person, you act like a kingdom person, but you do it all the time. It doesn't come and go. And so it's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week deal. And he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So it's your responsibility and my responsibility that no one we encounter would fail to obtain the grace of God. That means the people that really get under your skin see that they don't fail to obtain the grace of God. Meaning, you have an opportunity in every circumstance to be the grace of God. Right? And so no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Bitterness is just a result, a manifestation of unbelief. And by it, many become defiled. We talked about Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. That we need to understand our identity in Christ. And we can't sell ourselves cheap. You can't sell yourselves so cheap that if somebody says something, they have the ability to offend you. That's selling yourself cheap. Because who gave you life? Did they? If they gave you life, then they have a right to say something against your life that should make you upset. But if somebody comes against you with words to try to hurt or harm you? Did they not do that to Jesus? And is Jesus not within us? And how did Jesus respond, yet without saying a word? Did he walk around offended and upset? He didn't. So whenever there's a spirit of offense comes on you, whenever you get offended, recognize immediately that your life is about you in that moment. If you're offended, it's because it's about you. So as soon as you're offended, which will happen, and it'll happen to me, my prayer is, Father, help me to recognize swiftly 
that this thing is about a self-centeredness that I can get rid of. And it's not about not having that feeling or never being offended. Like, don't hear that from what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're not going to be human in our interactions. We are. But if we remain human and give each other excuses as to why we can stick, keep on being that way, then we're really warring against what the kingdom of God said, which is Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father was perfect. So how do we do that? We walk continuously growing in grace and faith, right? And so we don't want to become defiled. We don't want to sell our birthright, sell ourselves cheap. And here's what it says in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. What's he describing? What was that? Mount, yeah, Dana said, Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? What was, what was given to the people of Israel? The law. And so when the law came, when the perfect rules of God, which are perfect and holy, they are, and I will never ever, if you, I will never say that the law is not perfect and holy because it is perfect and holy. That's the point of the law. It's to say it's so perfect and so holy that no one can obtain it. Okay, so what happens in this when you come to what you can see and touch and it's terrifying and tumultuous? He's saying that's not what you guys have come to in this new covenant. You haven't come to that. And what happened in, in Exodus thirty two twenty eight? So when Moses went up on the mountain and received the law, what did God say to him up there? You better go back down. And what was happening at the base of the mountain? The golden calf, idolatry, and the people had broken out, it said, right? It was sexual immorality. So they were worshiping the way they once worshipped, and the foreign gods were worshipped. God says to Moses, you better go down, because you've only been gone a short time, and yet they have broken out. That, and here's what God said, go down so that no one approaches the mountain and touches it. His mercy was still being poured out. He's still saying, even though they've broken out and are acting like wild people, I, it's not my heart that they would be destroyed. You follow me? When he goes down there, Moses says, among all of these tribes of Israel, what was going on with the sexual morality? He says, who is going to be on my side? Who's going to be for the Lord? And one tribe rises up. It's the Levites. So at Mount Sinai... The Levites kill approximately 3,000 people who were involved in engaging in the idolatry and sexual morality that was going on, which was a breaking of the law. So as the law is given, 3,000 people die. You follow me? That's Exodus 32 and verse 28. So you're coming to a place with this new covenant that is not this, this smoking mountain of fire that is out to kill us and to destroy us. But what are we coming to? It says this. You've come to Mount Zion, still a mountain. See the parallel? Mount Sinai is law and death. What is Mount Zion? Blessing. Blessing. It's the house of God. said, I will always dwell on Mount Zion. Right? City of the living God. So it's the living God. They're coming to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Tell me, can we touch or see with our physical eyes the, the, the heavenly Jerusalem? 
You can touch and see the law, right? You can not touch and see grace. It's a heavenly Jerusalem. It's a heavenly living. You see what I'm saying? Because why we're not able to touch and see it is because we don't base anything on performance. We base things on love and love in relationship to Jesus Christ. Which means in this room, I don't know in this room, anybody else in this room, your personal relationship and intimacy with Jesus. You and you alone in your heart is the only one who knows it. But if I judge you based on the law, I can look around the room and make rules for one another. And then I can start telling you, touching and seeing who's abiding and who's not abiding by the law. You get what I'm saying? You've not come to that. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, which is going to come down. And he says, to an innumerable number of angels in festal gathering. Here's what the new covenant is. The new covenant is you've got a heavenly home. You're not a kingdom. You're not, you're not a, a resident of this planet any longer. You have a heavenly inheritance. And there is an innumerable number of angels that are festively gathering and rejoicing with you continuously for what the King of Glory has done to make it possible that you have a new covenant relationship. That's what we have. This is what we've come to. And he says, It's also to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made... What's it say? Perfect. So, let me ask you a question. Is your spirit perfect? Yes. If not, you're not born again. Right? And you need to be born again. If your spirit's not perfect, you need to be born again. Why? Because we've come to all this place and the spirits of the righteous that are made perfect. We have been made a family. That's why you can encounter a Christian across the world, and as soon as you both know that you're believers, you feel like you've known each other forever. Isn't that true? That's not a lie. You're family with people. You encounter somebody, you're like, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Oh, brother, sister, give me a hug, you know? It's immediate. And he says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So what can be shaken? The world? How about our souls? That part of us that has been trained by the world to be offended that's been trained by the world to seek its own way, that's been trained by the world to have its own way, you know why that gets shaken? Because if you're in charge of protecting your soul, your, your ability is flawed and you're going to fall short of keeping your own life. So what God allows in our lives is He is a God that we have reverence and awe for because circumstances arise that cause a shaking in the stuff that was made. What was made in us was how we lived our lives, how we were trained to be, 
right? If we're trained to protect ourselves and live for ourselves and be ourselves and all this stuff for self, 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 guess what? That's something that's made that's going to be shaken. And God's shaking it out of the church and saying, this stuff's got to go. Why? Because there's a spirit in there that's perfect. And that spirit that's in there is perfect. It's going to bleed over into the soul that I made this person to be. And their identity is going to be real. And when the identity is real, then they're really going to love people because it's not going to be how they're caught up in the offenses and the problems and the tribulations and the relationships. We're going to go forward as a kingdom and as a family. And we're going to move in the place where I'm a consuming fire. They're going to see God because they're holy. Their holiness is set apart. Their peaceful righteousness is going to pour out. Fruit is going to be on the world and people are going to know that he's real that he's real he is as real as we are sitting here more real than that way more real and way bigger he's a consuming fire so i love it because these are the things that he shakes out of me and then he evaporates in the fire of his glory he's like just in selfishness it's just holding me back and it just oh you're right god there's some selfishness right there yeah that's gone how awesome. We don't have to, there's nothing we have to do. We have to look at Him, believe in Him, let it come out, confess it, agree with Him, and He takes care of it. And then He's like, well done. <laughs> well done. I didn't really do anything. Yeah, you did. Well done. And that's the relationship that we get to have with Him. And so when the law was given, 3,000 die. That's the curse that exists. Law kills. Right? The wages of sin is death. But grace gives life. Right? What happened at Pentecost? 3,000 people were saved. The law is given. See, God is not a God who just messes around with this stuff. He's a God who says, the 3,000 died at the mountain, but that wasn't my intention. I just gave them the law. They said they could obey whatever they wanted me. Whatever they wanted from me, they wanted my law. I gave them my law, and now they tried to obey it, and they couldn't. So I sent my son Jesus, and when I sent my son Jesus, I made sure that 3,000 of them, many of which were probably witnesses to the cross, when Jesus stood on the cross, laid on the cross, and said, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Peter said in his sermon, You who killed the Lord Jesus, was speaking to people who were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus wasn't like, well, oh, not them. They're the ones who killed me. Before he died, he asked for the forgiveness of their souls so that they on that day of Pentecost could become the ones that would be entering the kingdom of God. And they didn't have to mope around, well, we can't, we're, we're not worthy of this because we're the ones who killed Jesus. I don't even know what we should do. No, they said, what must we do to be saved? Because it's born again. And Jesus' identity placed on them and their identity found in him. That's awesome. So beautiful. Right? And even, you know, I even think about how Jesus gave us this instruction and he said, you know, what, what father on earth, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Who's the bread of heaven? Yeshua. What did the law come on? Stone. If his son asks for bread, what dad's going to give him a stone? How much, if, our, if we ask for bread, is God going to pour the law down on us? No, He gives us Jesus, bread. It's so wonderful that God is like, He draws all these things in Scripture and makes us aware of how complete the whole thing is for our good. You got something, Dave? Everybody else in the room knows this, but I didn't know.